want to welcome you to that if you're that are you new and and just checking out Ecclesia. We're glad that you're here uh, with us. So as we look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and we go into this new uh, section as Paul is going to now, as he's really continuing dealing with the family, he now is going to instruct parents uh, and children. Uh, I want to be really clear that this instruction is for everyone. You know, as we talk about this letter being written to uh, the church, or the churches in, uh, in, in Ephesus, and, and we look at how important that is as, as Jesus' followers, and, and this letter is being stood up, and it's being read uh, in this space, um, just I want you to understand and know that this was not just uh, written uh, for the parents that were there in the room. This was not written for just the kids that were in the room. This is, this is something that impacts everybody. See, if you're not a parent, if you're maybe, maybe you're married and you don't have kids, uh, haven't been able to have kids maybe, or, or maybe uh, your kids have moved out and that's no longer a season that you find yourself in, it, we need to remind ourselves when we are a part of a church, we are a part of the body of Christ. We are part of a family, and, and, and it is our call to all treat each other in that way. In other words, um, I am called, even though that may be someone else's child, I am called to shepherd, uh, to help teach, to love, to serve that child just like my own, because we're all part of a family. I love how First, T- First Timothy 5, 1 and 2, uh, it reminds us of this when it says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. In other words, that's how we're called to deal with each other uh, in this way as, as brothers, as sisters, uh, as parental figures uh, in uh, the body of Christ as we're part of this new family. The series uh, that we've uh, named this is In Christ. And as we are in Christ, we are brought into this new family. But it's important to see that the fact that Paul is going to mention children here in in such an important letter, what this really demonstrates uh, to us is the value that the early church placed on children. And really, they were just carrying on the legacy that Jesus had already established. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, uh, it says, But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And so he made a priority. He, he loved to have the kids uh, around him. He loved them coming up into his arms. Uh, he loved uh, extending love to them. Uh, and we even see in, Ma- in, in Matthew chapter 18 in, uh, where, where he talks about, like, in very intense language, how you better not cause one of these little kids to stumble because he cared so deeply about kids. We also see um, the priority of kids and that and that um, that parental influence and, and how important that was in the Old Testament. Uh, when we look at uh, its its teaching uh, and how it was how parents were called to pass down and instruct uh, their kids in the ways of God. In in Deuteronomy chapter six verses four through seven, uh, we see this uh, addressing the nation of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Okay, so, so this, this is so important. This is what you teach. Uh, the understanding, the knowledge, who God is. You teach that diligently to your kids. That should come up in conversation around your house when you're sitting there. Share and, and pass this information on to your kids. See, the nation of Israel, when we look at the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was to model and, and to be a witness of who God was uh, to all of these surrounding nations. They should have been able to get a picture of who God is by looking at that nation. They were to model, they were to reflect that. And so what we see is the pattern in how God has established that nation to be a witness, and it was going to be uh, designed to be passed down from generation to generation as parents would invest and would diligently teach the truths of who God is is they would teach that to their kids and it was designed to be passed down therefore expanding the reach from generation to generation and so this is something that isn't new it's been a priority from the old testament into the new testament these values that we see as 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 we talk about just valuing the family valuing kids this was very countercultural. You just need to know that uh, when, when Paul is writing this. Because many in the Greco-Roman world, they, they literally, I mean, it's horrific when you read history and learn. I mean, there was literally uh, heaps of, of trash that would be in different parts outside of the city. And people, if they didn't want their kids, they would put them there and leave them there. In fact, um, a, a Roman male, they would pick up their child and, and they would look at him right after birth and they would uh, decide whether they wanted that child or not. And if they found any deformities, any, anything they didn't like um, about that child, they would abandon uh, that child and, and and it was just so horrific and 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 you see you would see these literally these these kids being left and and what's so in, incredible and and dangerous was you know they were they would be picked up by people some for slavery prostitution to be gladiators but and this is what's so incredible the early church was known for rescuing those babies those kids that's what the early Christians were known for rescuing them. And so we, we see that what Paul is talking about when he is challenging this church and, and, and placing this priority on how kids not only deal with their parents, but how parents deal with their kids, this was a radical change from the callous cruelty that, that really prevailed in the Roman Empire. See, we have to, you know, it's, it's interesting how we all have these biases. And when we come into a church, sad to say, a lot of times those biases are projected from us and how we deal with each other, how we treat uh, each other. And, and, and what we see here as Paul is just, especially in uh, the book, this letter of, of, of Ephesians, we see that we are called to value everyone made in God's image, regardless of ethnicity, background, gender, or even age. The church should celebrate the birth of children. 
I mean, I mean, that should be a priority. We should celebrate that. You know, we do, um, we do baby dedications uh, at Ecclesia. And, and, and part of it, you know, it's like, well, I don't, I don't see where they did that there. But you know what? This is part of us celebrating uh, the miracle of birth. This is part of us uh, identifying, saying this is, this is a new child in our body that we're going to rally around, that we are going to welcome into our family, that we all are going to take upon ourselves to, to play a role in helping to raise disciples to be there for that family as they walk through and navigate parenthood. And so that's such an exciting thing. And so when you think about how we should treat and love kids and value them, um, we should be supporting foster care. We should be supporting uh, adoption. Adoption in and of itself reflects the very nature, the very reality of our adoption being adopted into God's forever family. He is now our father. And he's adopted us into that. We need to bring in the, into our lives, into our church. We need to bring those that, that are fatherless, that, that, that they don't have a father in their lives. So we have some that, that their mother, they, they, maybe she's alive, but she's nowhere around. She's nowhere involved in that person's life. They, we need to bring those people into our church. We need to bring them into our homes, into our lives. We need to help the disadvantaged kids with helping them in school, in in your neighborhood, where you're at. We need to welcome, whether it's a cousin or or a nephew who is in need of love and support, we need to take that upon ourselves. Let's be that church that cares for and welcomes children just as Jesus has welcomed you and I. And part of this is understanding and knowing uh, that we need to set an example. We need to set an example. See, children are learning Christian living by watching their parents. Paul has been uh, addressing uh, these new, these Jesus followers uh, in the church at Ephesus. He's been addressing them uh, throughout these chapters. And many of those Christians uh, were parents. Um, they were, and, and we see that, that his calling to these people, especially those that, that, that are parents, they're, like, they, need to, they needed to re- remember that the instructions that he's asking them to implement into their lives as a response to being a Jesus follower, where does that primarily need to be played out more than anywhere? In the home. In the home. When you think of your life, when you think of... Uh, you following Jesus, the primary place that we see, whether that's authentic, whether that's real, or just something you're kind of playing with, is what goes on at home. And when you think about just the reality of, of kids and, and being a parent, children are observing their parents' relationship to the Lord. They're observing that. They're watching that. They're watching how their parents pray. They're watching how they study, how they read God's word, how they worship, uh, uh, church. Is it of value? All these things, how they, how they you know, is, is what they say. Are, are they hypocritical? Uh, do they demonstrate mercy? Do they give grace? Uh, do they see a disconnect there? Or do they actually see um, their parents modeling what it means to look and to be a Jesus follower, because the first picture of God that children receive is their parents. 
So the question, if you're a parent, is what are they seeing? Are they learning to value mission more than money, faithfulness to God, even over career success? Are they learning humility and repentance or hypocrisy? See, they're also forming their view, and this is important because of what we've just been talking about. They're also forming their view of marriage based upon their parents' marriage. When I do premarital, one of the first questions I ask is, tell me about your parents' marriage. Because that is what you know. That is all you know. When you grow up, your view of marriage is based upon what you've seen and experienced through your parents. And so uh, when you think about this, if you're married, you are giving your children or somebody's children a picture of the gospel as well as demonstrating how husbands and wives should love each other. So it doesn't matter if you have kids or not. If you are married, uh, it is so critical because uh, kids, young adults, they're watching you and they're learning about what marriage is. Maybe they didn't have any influence. Maybe they didn't have, uh, they have maybe one parent or this, and, and, and they've never even seen a marriage that, that, that was supposed to model uh, Jesus. They've never even seen that. And, and now you're in this place, like I said, whether you're the parent or not, to where they're looking to you, and the question is, what are they seeing? One of the best things that you can do as a parent is to love your spouse well. Like, that's one of the best things you can do. We try and do all these things for our kids. And I'm telling you right now, if you're, if you're a parent or, or you just want to model well uh, what it looks like to love kids, love your spouse. I'm telling you right now, that will do so much for them. You know, Lindsay and I, Lindsay's my wife, we were uh, arguing, um, I don't know, three, four weeks ago. We were, we're, we were in an argument, and, and I'll, I'll never forget, we're in this argument, and and we're talking and, and arguing, and all of a sudden, I just look down. And because and we're kind of at our kitchen counter, and I look down, and there's three sets of eyes just staring right at me. And they're just watching me. And, and I remember just thinking, man, I wonder what they think of me right now. I wonder what they think of our marriage. And I was so convicted because I was like, man, they're supposed to see the gospel right now. They're supposed to, this is, I'm supposed to model Christ to them. What are they seeing? What are, what are, what are they, and, 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 and I think that's such a great question that we got to ask ourselves is, what are they seeing when they look to us? Because they're watching how we obey God. They're watching that. So let's, let's read this. You're like, okay, finally. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So children, when it says the word children here, it's not necessarily singling out uh, young kids here. Uh, so children, whatever age you find yourself. So uh, we're made uh, to glorify God, right? So any kid uh, that, that we see uh, that, that's a part of our life, anybody that's, that's been created, we are made to glorify God. 
And so um, when we think about raising uh, children, when we think about if, if you are a children watching right now, obeying your parent is one of the ways that you obey God and that you glorify God. Obey has to do with action and honor has to do with attitude. Obey means to listen attentively and to respond positively to what's heard. Parents are to be obeyed because to do so is to obey the Lord. You're supposed to do it as unto the Lord. Parents are, are literally God's stewards for their children. Okay, now, now sometimes I talk about this and, and I have people, whether they're grown-up adults or their kids, and they say, Steve, you don't know how bad I had it. You don't know what kind of parents I had. And so I, I hate it every time the church talks about uh, parents and, and, and that, it, 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 it's, it's difficult. Well, well, I just want you to know right now that, that you have a heavenly father. And when we talk about uh, a, a parent and that brings it back to a, a horrible example, you go right, you bypass that and go right to your heavenly father and how he loves you, how he cares for you, uh, all he's done uh, for you to bring him into, to bring you into his family. But parents, if we're Jesus follower, we are called to steward our kids. They are on loan to us by God. That is why uh, children are commanded in Colossians 3.20. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Okay, this pleases the Lord uh, when, when we do this uh, for our parents. The only exception to that obedience is in the matter of doing what is wrong. Okay? So Jesus' followers should refuse to do anything that goes against God's will. Okay? So, so that's the line in the sand. If, if, if you say, well, they tell me to do this and do that, and it's a, contradictory, a contradiction to God's word, no, 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 no. Okay? That is where you draw the line. Okay, um, and, and I, I think it's also important to understand, parents, that children are going to have a difficult time obeying you. <laughs> they just will, okay? They're, they're, they're human. <laughs> and, and, and so the reality is they're going to fail. And when they fail, they need to be reminded that Jesus died for sinners that disobeyed him. They need to be reminded that. Because, um, you know, like we need to make their disobedience an occasion to teach them the gospel. Children don't have to be taught disobedience. Amen? They, they, they do that all by themselves. It's amazing how that's in them, and you see it, and you go, where did that come from? It's there. They don't need to be taught that. What they need to be taught, though, is they do need to be taught the gospel. Why should children obey their parents? Well, he says what in verse 1? He says, because this is right. <laughs> so very straightforward. They need to obey their parent because this is right. This rightness here, this is based on God's standard. This is God's command. And, and so regardless, we need to understand right now, regardless of how cute your child may be, we have to teach them obedience. They have to learn that. And, and, and that's hard sometimes. You know, I, I think my kids are cute, and there's times that, that I want to just bypass obedience and just kind of let them do their thing. But no, obedience is right. Obedience is of God. It is what he commands. And, and children need to grow up knowing and learning what obedience is. How should children obey their parents? Well, the right attitude behind the right act of obedience is honor. Children are to honor both their father and mother. And this command appears in five other places in the New Testament where he says this. 
And, and I also want to say this. Those of us with older parents should continue to honor, respect, and care for them as well. I love what 1 Timothy 5.4 says. It says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. So yeah, I know last week you heard me say, you know, uh, you get to leave and cleave. But, but, but listen, being uh, the child uh, to somebody like, like, like my parents, um, I am called to honor, to respect, to love them, to care for them um, as they continue to age. And as they're going to continue to need more help, I am called uh, to do that and to love them in that way. When God first introduced uh, his written law in the form of of the Ten Commandments, uh, that first law that was relating uh, to human relationships that we're going to see Paul quote, it was was in Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 12. and And it says this, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So the first law that's relating to human relationships was this, and and this is the one that Peter reiterates, or Paul, I guess, I should say, reiterates in this text, and it's the only commandment of the ten that relates to the family. The reason is is because this one principle, if, if we see this modeled and played out within the family dynamic, when that is obeyed, it has the power to secure a right relationship between children and their parents. So it's a very powerful, important command to to the point where he's reiterating it, to the point where over five more times in the New Testament, it's, it's emphasizing how important that is. And so we need to make a priority of, uh, if you're a parent or even uh, you have influence over any kid, to help teach them to obey and to teach them how to honor. Because here's the other thing. It creates also a foundation for respecting the authority that they're going to have to respect later on. See, if we don't teach our kids how to obey, how to honor, all those things now, they're going to grow up not obeying, uh, honoring, um, and not living in a way that God calls them to live. It's going to be foreign to them because they were never trained in the home. See, children have to be trained to obey and honor their parents by their parents. As as we think about how often in our world today, uh, we want to give kids the right to essentially choose whatever they want, right? Like, like, and we don't like say that, but we kind of live that way. We kind of parent sometimes like that. We just kind of go, well, I'll just let them decide. That's good. That's that's freedom. They're going to learn through that. But the reality is we're failing to teach these kids responsibility. They're not growing up learning responsibility. And that is, that is huge. It is foundational. They have to grow up learning what obedience looks like, what, what it looks like to, to be handed responsibility uh, and, and what it looks like to take ownership and responsibility of your relationship with God and how that has to be cultivated, developed, and, and, and how you mature. Listen, we're not doing this. And when you think about, like, like just the model here, although he, being Jesus, was perfectly divine and free from sin as a child, even he had to grow in the ways that every other child grows. 
in, in Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. I love this. This is, this is after, uh, now, now Jesus, this is early on. Uh, this is one of the, the, like, this is one of these pictures of him as a child that we get. And, and he, uh, his parents have been looking for him. They find him. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says this. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And, and look at what it says. And was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Did you, did you catch that? Okay. Now this is Jesus. This is Jesus as a child modeling submission to his parents. Modeling obedience to his parents. If there is anybody, anybody in the history that's ever walked this earth, that could say, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to do what you say. It was Jesus. And we see him model this obedience. We see him honor his, his, his parents here on this earth. And what does it say? I love the byproduct here because it's the byproduct we hope and pray for our kids. Uh, it, it's, it's literally, and Jesus increased in wisdom. Oh my goodness, I want to see my kids be wise, make wise decisions. In stature, physically, we want our kids to grow physically. We want them to mature properly. We want to do everything we can to help teach them to be healthy and in favor with God and in man. Grew in favor with God. He's, disciple. he's, he's growing in favor with God. And as a byproduct of that, the relationships, the impact, the people around him, his peers, Man, everything that I pray for, for my boys, and we see him model this. And if he did that, if you're a child and you're watching this, if you're a teenager and you're watching this, even if you're a young adult, we're called to do this. And parents, what are your hopes for your kids? Is this a priority to you? We see second here that Paul gives a promise with this, right? He gives this promise that it may go well with you and that you may have long life in the land. Okay, so what he's doing there, essentially, he's quoting and, and he's combining Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 that we already looked at, and then Deuteronomy 5, 16. And, and we see this. This is the original promise to Israel, involved, and, and it involved a long and good life in the land of Israel. But he's taking it here and using it, and his reference here, it, it's, it's designed to show that this also, this, this principle extends to believers today. This doesn't mean that, that uh, by obedience to one's parents that, that the child may never get sick or, or even tragically uh, pass away. That's not what it's saying. Though its blessings may not always be tangible. You may not always see it. You may not always know what's happening. It may be future tense. A family where children and parents live in mutual love and submission will have rich, God-given harmony and satisfaction. He will do incredible things with your family. If, it, if you see played out what we've been talking about with marriage, if you see played out with, with children honoring, respecting, obeying their parents, and you see these dynamics played out, there, it is undeniable that that family will experience incredible blessing. They will see uh, harmony and, and, and experience all that God has designed within the family unit. And as far as the promise for this long life on the earth, the believer who honors his or her parents can know that in their lifetime, they will live to the full measure that God intends. 
Remember in the context here, I mean, I mean, we literally got you know, people that made decisions uh, that ended up literally, I mean, their, their lives. And, and so when we do things God's way, we're not putting um, ourselves in the way of what he fully wants to do in our lives. We're not, we're not derailing that. We're not taking it in a different direction. And so ultimately, when, I, when I'm obedient, when I do things God's way according to his word, I am removing the limitations that I put in front of me and allowing him to write the complete, perfect design story he wants to with my life. And that is something that he will do um, if I will not only respect, honor, be obedient to my parents, but live in that way, in a in, 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 like I said, in a wholeness of your life, not just with them. But, but there's a huge, huge blessing attached to this. Spiritual blessings always come by obeying God's word. They just do. Lastly, in verse 4, it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, it's interesting here. Though fathers, the, the term here in the Greek for fathers, it usually referred to the male. Uh, it was sometimes used of just parents in general. Okay, so the word uh, translated fathers is a word used in Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23. And, and in that context, it refers to the both, both parents. So um, this literally, because Paul has been addressing and speaking to both parents uh, in the preceding three verses, this could be him addressing parents, but it also could be him addressing the father. We know, uh, based upon that culture, that fathers play this very forceful, dominant role to the point where sometimes uh, they would even uh, kill a child and that, and, and, and in a lot of those cases, they were never charged for that. Or I mean, it was a very unhealthy dynamic, and so he could be addressing the fathers, but um, um, this also could be him speaking to both parents. And I like to, to highlight both parents because these are all principles that both parents should be doing in unity together. And so as, as we look at this, both parents should be united in raising the children, disciplining and teaching them. And, and we see parents have two particular challenges in raising uh, children that we see here. One is do not provoke them to anger, okay? Do not provoke them to anger. Now, this is, uh, what, what it's talking about here is this is a repeated ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment toward the parent or parents, and ultimately, it bursts into outward aggression and rebellion. See, as, as we look at, just as I was talking about, fathers in the ancient world, this was an issue, provoking their kids to anger. And even mothers also uh, can provoke their, their kids to anger as well, as well. And when we look at all the different ways that this can play out, um, it's very convicting. I was working through this list of, of, of ways that this can play out as a parent and it was, re- it was revealing a lot in me uh, that, that I had to deal with. And, uh, and here's some possible causes of, uh, as it's talking about angering or driving our kids to anger. Failing to take into account the fact that they are kids. Have you ever treated a child like they were an adult? 
and you held them to the standard like they're an adult. And yet, like for me, uh, my six-year-old, and, 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 and I love him to death, but there's certain times I treat him in an unfair way. I have an expectation of him that he should be like an 18-year-old, and yet he's six. And so we have to be on guard from placing uh, these, these expectations uh, on our, our kids um, and, and, and literally not just like, like honoring and, and remembering that they are kids and treating them as such. Okay, sometimes uh, we can totally just forget that um, and, and it hurts them over time. We can compare them to others. That's a very dangerous one in parenting. And I would say this, that is more dangerous now more than ever because everybody, especially parents, what are we doing all the time on social media? We're always posting pictures of our kids. We're always, we're always posting highlights of our kids, what our kids just did, what they just achieved, what they just memorized, what they, right? And so other parents are seeing that and they're like, yeah, like, I love that. And then they're like, honey, we got to do that. What's wrong with us? Why, why hasn't my child learned how to ride his bike yet? Why hasn't he done that? And we will, some of us, we will go to our kid and say, they're doing that. Why can't you do that? You are slowly going to lose that child, their respect for you, that, that, that love. That's going to drive them to anger. You can't get into this comparison game uh, as a parent. You can't put that on your kids disciplining them inconsistently man that's tough because you see even in yourself anger and and different moments and sometimes you're in a more calm and collected space to be able to deal with discipline other times you come home you're stressed already and they just hit that last that trigger and all of a sudden you're acting out of anger you're not acting out of love and you're being inconsistent and you're disciplining in ways that you have no business disciplining in and if, and, and if you fall into that and you, start, and you start doing that consistently, it is a dangerous game. Failing to express approval, even in the small accomplishments. You know, we've got to be careful because sometimes we can just literally expect and create such high um, demands and expectations of our kids that we never celebrate. We never affirm an accomplishment. We never, we never say, well done. We, we never even acknowledge that. And so they grow up seeking that, wanting that, desiring that, and, and, and never getting it. And some of you, you're an adult now, you're still trying to earn that. It still weighs on you. You're, you're, you're there. Like you're, you're like, Steve, that's me, and I'm an adult, and I have my own kids. Break the cycle. Stop acknowledge that. You may even go, oh, that's insignificant. No, 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 no. you got to acknowledge and celebrate that. Um, and, and that is a way that you love them. Express that, that you're happy. When they follow Jesus, when they, when they make a decision, when they, when, when they have the choice to lie to you and they tell you the truth, acknowledge that. Okay? When, when they do something um, and it's polite, acknowledge that. Like, don't you, well, you better do that. You're my kid. No, we have to acknowledge and reinforce what is good, what is of God. Um, failing to express our love to them. You should be saying, I love you, and I hope it aligns with how they, how they actually, I hope it aligns with God's kind of love, but we should be affirming and reaffirming how much we love them. Do you know how much this Bible talks about how much God loves you in spite of you? We need to be loving our kids like that. Disciplining them for reasons other than willful disobedience and defiance. Listen, we are not called to discipline our kids if they annoy us. 
if they're just acting their age, okay? Um, and, 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 and we need to be careful because we can just create our own set of, of these are Steve's little rules that bother Steve. And in reality, my kid's not in, in he's not trying to do anything that's, that's uh, against God or against God's will or anything like that. Uh, but all of a sudden, I take uh, this role, this servant leadership role as this father who's supposed to love and disciple this kid, and, and, and I use it to, to beat them down, to hold them down, that's not, that's not okay. Pressuring them to pursue our goals and not their own. Man, pressuring them to pursue our goals, not their own. How many parents are trying to live out the dreams they had through their kids? That is not okay. That's not of God. God has created that child, gifted them, and and has an incredible plan and purpose for their life. And, And there's so many parents that will try to hijack that based upon what they never accomplished, what they never succeeded at, where they never arrived. That is so unfair. And you're literally hijacking what God wants to do in that kid. And I'm telling you, at some point, that child will grow up and and they'll resent. They'll be turned to anger. They will act out in that because those are wounds that form. Withdrawing love from them. Man, that's a, I'm going to, I'm going to treat you like I don't love you now because you did that. You said that you acted in this way. No, God's love is so incredible because he continues to give that grace and that mercy uh, in spite of how often we fail him. And then I would say, lastly, overprotecting them. Helicopter. Listen, they have to learn. You're not always going to be there. And I see case after case after case of, of kids that grow up just waiting to be able to make their own decisions, waiting to learn what they really believe. And so they go along with that parent, with that figure that is just like this. I'm going to insulate. I'm going to bubble wrap you and, and all of that. And they're just waiting. And it's so sad when I see it pop, when it breaks. And they're broken. And, and they're confused with even their own identity. And so I want to challenge you to not do that. God loves your child and do it his way. What's what's the result of, of, of these? Well, you know, it talks about them being angered and acting out in that. And but it also in Colossians 3:21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. They're discouraged, they're defeated as a result when we parent like this. So we should be aiming. For what? Not discouragement. We should be aiming to, for encouragement. And we see Paul then goes to this positive command here. Three actions uh, that parents are called to do. Bring up, we see. Bring them up. Uh, we see discipline and we see instruct. And this phrase, bring them up, it doesn't really even do justice to the notion expressed by the verb. Uh, Paul used this verb in actually in, in Ephesians 5.29, and when he used it there, it was the sense of providing, nourishing, or feeding. And so when it talks about bringing them up, it's more than just raising them. It's, it's providing, it's nourishing, it's feeding. You can only do that if you are present in their life. 
I want to encourage uh, you that, that this to do this well, it's going to require your presence and not just your body in the same room. It's you with the phone down, the screens down, actively engaging, loving, having conversation with them, investing, nourishing in them. That's what it's talking about. It's going to take some spiritual discipline. It's going to take some schedule adjustments. But we are called to, to, to raise them up like that. Um, and, and it can only happen if you are present in their lives. Are you conscious of your time and attention with your children? Next, it says parents are to train or instruct their children. Uh, instruction carries the idea of teaching or counsel, um, and discipline involves training, uh, including punishment. Discipline, uh, here is the word used in Hebrews chapter 12 to, to refer to our heavenly Father's discipline of us, which we know is what? It's for our own benefit. And so we need to remember that if we're disciplining, it's for their benefit. It's under control because, remember, it's of God. It should be for God, of God. And so when we do that, it should be in a, in a way that is love, not out of self, not, not, not out of control. We're to teach Jesus-focused instruction and discipline in a way that honors him. Parents have this holy calling to be the primary disciple-makers of their kids, and it's this limited time, this limited window that we have with them. I love how one commentator put it. They are like wet cement. We have a short time to teach and to mold them. Amen? You have them for a short season in your life. And the one consistent thing I know from everybody that has grown kids, including my own, is they will say it goes too fast. You blink and it's gone. And so we have this short window of time with them. It's a gift. And we uh, have the choice to invest it, to disciple, to love them, to raise them up in a way that's going to honor God or we just say, I'll get to it later, or I'll start making these changes after COVID or whenever that is. Um, and God's saying, no. You have this time now, this small window that you're a steward of these incredible kids. They need to be taught. And I always say this, somebody will be teaching them. I pray that it's you. But somebody will be teaching them. See, children do not know God naturally, much less love and obey him naturally. They need to be taught. And as you walk with them, drive with them, play with them, and have meals with them, talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Bring Jesus. Not, not like beating their head down in every single conversation, but, but looking for those moments that, that you can share about Jesus and be that bridge. Talk about his incarnation, his death for them, his resurrection, the lordship uh, that he has, and how beautiful and incredible that is. Uh, speak to the hearts of your children. We know from Scripture, like, like behavior flows from the heart, so you should speak Christ to their heart. Talk about values, beliefs, feelings, motives. Talk about sin, repentance, grace. Talk about the cross with them. Talk about becoming a new creation in Jesus. Talk about your own uh, story uh, with them um, and what God has done in your life. You're going to need to have dialogue, not just monologue, if you really want to do this well. Ask them questions. Know what they believe. Know what they doubt. Create an environment where they can share their doubts with you. Know their fears. Warn them about the dangers of, of pride and, and pray with them regularly. And here's the thing, parents, you will feel insufficient. 
Parenting makes you desperate for God's help. I'll never forget our first child. They give us the child, and, and, and it's time uh, to leave the hospital. You've never had a kid. All of a sudden, you have a kid, and I'll never forget getting in the car, looking at my wife and going, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? I can't believe they're letting us take this child home. And you're immediately reminded, ma'am, God, you got to do this because I am ill-equipped to do it. And that's okay. We can take comfort. Titus 2.12 training us. He's talking about his grace. His grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So Paul is saying here that God, the grace of God instructs us for godliness. So listen, as you pray for them, as you struggle in your own insecurities, in your own failures, remember that God's grace is at work in their lives, training them into godliness. And pray for that. And lastly, remind yourself of this. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I love that. You don't need to hide your weaknesses. Admit them. We fail as parents. In fact, when you start to take ownership and, 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 and actually saying this is about me, you actually hijack what God wants to do. He wants to build that house. And so your failures as a parent, it doesn't make you a bad parent. It simply means we need grace. Do not hide your need for grace. That's part of the teaching experience. Kids need to know that people fail, but there is one who did not fail on their behalf. He stood in our place. He gives us forgiveness, empowerment. They need to know the first three chapters of Ephesians, that we are in Christ. We are accepted, forgiven, redeemed, and made alive. They need to know that. Go to God for the help you need. His strength will be sufficient. Weak parents have a mighty Savior. In our weakness, he is strong. Let that be an encouragement to you. Take hold of that. He fills in the gaps. You do your best before God to present yourself approved as a workman, right? Not, needing, not, not trying to, to like pretend you're something you're not. You're just doing your best to be a wise steward with those incredible uh, gifts from him. And, and, and like I said, you may not have kids of your own. You may not be in that season. You may think that season's beyond you. You have influence. You have eyes that are seeing you. There's needs around you. There's kids now more than ever that need influences like this that will teach them, that will love them, that will introduce them to Christ, whether it's through seeing their marriage, just th seeing through the parental love that you give as a reflection of your relationship with God. What a great time to do this. Let's be that example, church. Let's love children. Let me pray.